0: Uh, I think Marston found a, kind of a mainstream way to present some of the kink uh, in this character of Wonder Woman.
1: Hey everybody, it's Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com and today I have the pleasure of talking with Penning Minx, who is a fellow podcaster, and uh, she hosts Polly Amory Weekly, which is one of my favorite things to listen to. So um, I find it very, very educational, and when I thought that I needed to talk to people about combining this subculture of geekery with the subculture of sexuality, there was no better person to talk to than Minx. So Minx, why don't you uh, explain to the viewers and listeners who you are? I, I actually really like the way you did it.
0: Um. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm Cutting Minx. I am the host of the poly, poly Amory Weekly podcast. We've been in production since the spring of 2005. And yeah, I've been, uh, I've identified as kinky and poly since about that same time, since about 2000, I guess it was 2002 or so. And, uh, uh I'm a kinky poly booby and I just talk about sex and relationships and kink and stuff online because, uh, well, I've damaged too many relationships by not talking about
1: that stuff right and i think i think that's great and i mean the your conversations are extremely open and and the fact that um I, like i love i love the intro to your show how you even say that you know what if you're closed minded then you know like why this is not the podcast for you um but um what we'll do is be, you know because the two of us are in these these sort of subcultures that have a crossover, like if you were to take the, the, the two circles and, and cross them over, you get that sort of shade of gray. That's, you know, I think that we meet there. So um, let's see what we can learn about combining geeks and sexualities. Um, if you weren't a comic book reader, was there some sort of, you know, trigger that you remember as, you know, from your youth that, that you found as your first sexual stimulation? Uh, yeah, and it's funny, guys, I did tell Amber, I was like, I don't really read comic books. I never really have. I, You know, I hope that's yes. okay. That's totally okay. I mean, you know, if you said, yeah, I used to get Bugs Bunny and I felt yeah. a little weird, <laughs> well, then I would be like, okay, well, we need to talk about furries instead. But,
0: <laughs> no, and it, it's funny. I'm, I'm asked this question a lot, like how did you first know you were kinky and, and how did you first know you were poly? And the answers to those questions are very different depending upon how exactly you ask them. Um, but I will say that my early sexual fantasies, it's really funny, I didn't, I mean, I i, I lived in Texas, I didn't actually have a lot of external stimulation because I lived in a very bland vanilla suburb, uh, but I've always had a great imagination and the things that always turned me on from the time I started masturbating when I was like eight years old, it was always stories of um, coercion and submission so I would see something on TV about a girl being kidnapped, and I would fetishize that or of um, uh, 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 being a spy and being taken hostage. Like there, there was always this capture. <laughs> There's yeah. always kidnapping and capture, right?
1: Were you usually the one being captured? Always. always. Oh, yeah. Oh, always. Always, okay. always. Yeah, and things like snidely whiplash tying the girl to the train tracks. <laughs> yep. That's yes, that, I that I'm- for me. I wish this was video because I'm drinking out of a snipely whiplash glass. No retail. way! I am not kidding you, I'm gonna have to send a picture of that. So, okay, so if, okay, so you, you had the, these notions of being captured and everything, much like many of our comic book heroes and victims, I mean, you know, whether it was Peter Parker always having to change into Spider-Man to go rescue Aunt May and Mary Jane, or whether it was, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman actually being captured and and tied up. It's something that that comics and cartoons, you know, these are, you know, imagery from childhood. We've we've seen these things, you know, our whole lives. You just made me think of another one. I always felt kind
0: of in a weird way uncomfortable when Batman and Robin would get captured and tied up and put on some conveyor belt for some incredibly elaborate thing that they would eventually escape. (laughs) And it... It's it's a feeling that 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 level of discomfort is actually what I, I later came to discover was being horny and being aroused. I just didn't know what it was at the time. So I always felt kind of weird during those scenes. But so I guess it was to anybody being tied up, anybody being restrained, anybody in imminent danger, that was yeah. um, that turned me on.
1: Well, and of course, now, the the final repeal of what what was the Comics Code authority, uh, you know, the stamp of approval, that the last book is finally done. Nobody's ever using the Comics Code um, approval anymore. And that was because um, the book, The Seduction of the Innocent, where there were claims that content such as Batman always hanging out with Robin, the boy wonder, would turn children homosexual. So, um, You know, and aside from you know Wonder Woman and and other women, how they were portrayed. um, But it's great that you brought up Batman and Robin because you know part of our our kink subculture and polyamorous subculture could very easily involve homosexuality. I mean, it might not always, but. You know, here they actually felt that comics would turn you homosexual. So what would your well, thinking on that be?
0: Well, I think we know by now that nothing turns anyone homosexual. If someone's going to be gay or lesbian, um, he or she, I promise you, will find a way. So it, I, I don't think there's any any content that one way or another would change a person's um, sexual orientation.
1: So how do you... Um, you know, how did you feel about Betty Page and, you know, do you feel that, that she really was, a, um, you know, sh- should she be revered or was she something like, you know, oh, you know, was she just maybe diving into something that shouldn't, shouldn't, wasn't, we weren't ready for? Her?
0: Betty Page is really interesting. I, I didn't really know about her until I was in my late 20s. I was actually um, cast in a play. I was doing theater in Chicago and I was cast in a play about Betty Page and so being an actor I, I you know did my due diligence and um, researched her and read some books on her and got all the pictures and everything and it's really funny. That was right I was just on the cusp of coming out as Kinky and of embracing Kink and, and finding being my first DS relationship. And that that was like maybe the year beforehand when uh I was, you know, sitting here spanking this girl who who was playing the part of Betty on stage and <laughs> pretending I knew what I was doing when I'd never done it before. I don't know. I mean, she's an interesting character because she's of course a real person, right? And everything I've read said that she, she really just wanted to model. She wasn't really consciously embracing kink as an alternative lifestyle herself, that she just really liked having her picture taken. She liked, you know, she liked posing. She liked doing these things. And, you know, if Irving Claw wanted to photograph her and all this kink stuff or tied up in a trunk, she was just cheesing it up. She was just having fun in front of the camera. And, uh, I think she was naive in a sense that she didn't really understand that this would upset people to set, to the extent that it did. And well, I, that
1: was my impression too. She seemed, she seemed genuinely like confused. Like, you know, what is the problem?
0: Right. It, it's, it's, it's like playing, like I'm just playing dress up in, in, you know, in my room with my sister. Why would you care what I do?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because absolutely. And, you know, like, you know, going back to things that we do when we're young, you know, you, you played games of, of pretend, which now as adults, you know, somehow we're told that that's bad and that those of us that still do it are considered, uh, you know, in a subculture. Who is it's, Who says that it's, it's bad? Says, Let me add them. Yeah, bad. you know, I, I would, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, like you said, we, we dress up in rent fairs and people will speak with accents and they will, you know, and whether it's a sexual partner situation or if it's, you know, Mardi Gras and masquerades, I mean, there's, you know, Comic-Con is just rife with, pe- you know, grown-ups playing pretend. Um, yeah. But I, I think you know, it's really healthy. As long as it doesn't you know, interfere or damage
0: your, your, your everyday life in any yeah. way, why would anybody care? I mean, you know, some people go put on jerseys and knock each other around the football field.
1: Exactly. You know, how is this any different? It's just, it's just a form of release. It's a form of self-expression. Right, right. So what, one of the things that I noticed though, with um, any time I read up or, or attend a convention about kink and, and fetish, right? Uh, activity is it, it always seems like there's a whole lot of shiny fabrics which to me really looks exactly like what i see in comic books and comic book movies it's you know the, so to me the the fashion and the the fabric choices alone have similarities so whether it's spandex or vinyl or leather it seems that there's definitely an overlap so i was just wondering like what what do you think it is like what what sexually is it about fabrics that turn people on
0: You know, I'm not really sure. I I think the only real common factor is that none of those fabrics are really practical in any form whatsoever.
1: (laughs) Right. So unless you're a biker, you're not going to normally be walking around in leather.
0: Right. And so there are uh, there. So it is really ripe for fantasy. And I mean, there is there is a lot of leather that is very practical. However, that is not the type of leather that's typically embraced in these types of costumes. And I you know, I was thinking about it. I don't really think it's so much about the specific fabrics. I mean, yeah, the some they're definitely kinksters that have their shine fetish so they they like the latex. Um, but for example I've talked with let's let's take latex, latex fetishes. I've talked with them asking what what is it about the latex that they fetishize because I think it's really pretty and it's cool, but it's not a strong fetish of mine. And mm-hmm. the answers I got were things like it it makes them feel so uh, contained because it is very binding and very restrictive. So it really is like having another skin over your skin and it's, it's a very unique feeling. It doesn't feel like another type of clothing. And if you look at something like spandex, well, spandex is actually very practical if you're a superhero in a warm climate. It doesn't really provide a lot of warmth. Uh, It's not bulletproof. It's not bulletproof. bulletproof. Uh, But if you are doing something extremely physical, uh, yoga-like, and you don't need a protective layer because you're a superhero, then that would actually be quite practical because it allows for a lot of movement. Uh, leather in particular, I've talked to people about why it is they fetishize leather and gotten a variety of responses. So I'm not really sure what the answer to that one is. I've always had a fetish for the smell of leather. Again, even before I was kinky, even before I knew what spanking was, I mm-hmm. would walk into a leather store and breathe deep and practically have an orgasm.
1: Exactly. I,
0: I didn't know why. And I'm still not sure why. I, I didn't have the kinky associations at that time, so it was not because of the association with, you know, bikers and kink and leathermen and chaps and harnesses and all of this stuff. It, it, I, I think it's actually just quite pure
1: that it smells really, really cool, and that's why I like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a vegetarian, and I can even say that. I mean, I, I know the <laughs> smell of leather, and you know, and it's just one of those things where it, it's distinct, and it's, you know. Because, uh, you know, I don't know, you're out in a city, I used to, I mean, I grew up in a more urban area, but I mean, I've, I've lived most of my life out in the country. So it's like, it's sort of like, you know, the olfactory senses are the, it's the strongest sense that we have. And you just find comfort in certain things. So if it's the smell of, of somebody's sensual perfume or leather, and leather is something that I think is probably a common sort of element in men's cologne anyway, um, I I think that it's part of the whole package, that when you're, you know, you could be in a costume and that there's more than sight going on. There's the touch of it. There's the smell of it. Mm. Yeah, I think
0: it's funny because each one of the fabrics on their own, I don't think, is risque enough to really draw attention. I mean, there I, I have worn outfits to work that have spandex in them. I have worn outfits to work that are perfectly acceptable that have leather in them a leather vest that doesn't make me in any way look like a biker. Uh, and, you know, the same thing even for okay, maybe not latex yeah, <laughs> or P V C. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think it's um I, I think it does have something with it to do with the combination of factors that um some of them definitely have the feel of being alternative your pvc and latex that are very different from an everyday practical fabric about as far as denim as you can get right uh, but then the combination of the others i really think that it's more about how you wear them with things like leather and spandex it, it's really about how it's cut the bright colors of it how you feel in it that sort of thing so i don't think there's like this one right answer to why it is that we tend to you know focus on those fabrics
1: and another part that I think overlaps is the fact that a lot of superheroes uh, you know, have masks and you know or hoods of some sort, hiding who they are. And you know, again, when I th- when I think about and and because I know honestly nothing about, about the you know the domination and and submission environment, when I see images. Those are the images that I tend to, to see, whether it's, you know, a documentary or, you know, a modeling website or something. There always seems to be some sort of mask element, just like, you know, just like in comics. <laughs> well, they're
0: terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. I have to do <laughs> yeah. my little Princess Bride quote. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that the reason that you see them in mainstream images of SNM is because in the mainstream, they tend to overdo it a little. It's one of my pet peeves (laughs) that if they show a dominatrix being caught on I don't know, law and order or something, it's it's inevitable that she has she's like they're always wearing everything like they're wearing the collar because they're a slave, but they're also carrying a whip because they're, you know, the top and the dominant and they're wearing a mask and they're wearing, you know, the high heeled boots and they have a whip and, and they've sort of put everything together in one person. Whereas for most of us, there are plenty of switches to be sure, but most people are you know, in one particular scene, they would be, you know, a person would be a slave or a bottom or a submissive, depending upon the arrangement and orientation. So that person might be wearing a collar and maybe something that uh, the top finds that person attractive in, but it wouldn't be everything at once. If there is a fetish for masks, sure, the person will wear a mask. Uh, to me, it's actually the masks aren't that big of a deal, but I think you're you've hit on something in terms of the relationship to comic books is that it is it adds a level of mystery it's something that you is not acceptable to wear in the mainstream culture on a daily basis anything that hides your face it's sort of uh, the the vanilla version of that is like the uh, the uh,
1: sunglasses, or I was going
0: to say the pirate eye patch. Like that's sure. how it's like they it's it's just a little bit edgy because they're like oh pirates are, uh, but it's still <laughs> it's it's on the verge of being socially acceptable because it you know sort of could be to <sighs> to, to deal with an actu- an actual physical handicap.
1: Right, right. Um, now, um, one of the most iconic comic book characters of all time is Wonder Woman and I dress as Wonder Woman as often as I can um, and I've come to know the family who are the, the heirs of the person who created her William Moulton Marston and his wife Elizabeth now for some reason it is it she's become this icon of the bondage community and it's you know when people really really psychoanalyze this it's you know because You know, we'll go into the details here that um, back in Wonder Woman's early days, I mean, first of all, she has a lasso that she can tie people up with, and it makes them tell the truth, whether they want to or not. And she has these slave bracelets on that were given to her because she came from an island of women. And so the bracelets were a reminder about the shackles of man. And yet when her wrists were bound together... She would lose her powers, so and when any time she was captured, her wrists automatically got tied together. And, and all of these things, I can see why that would become a symbol to the bondage community, but at the same time, as I said, I don't remember a single Batman issue or episode where he and Robin weren't getting tied up, too. <laughs> <laughs> Part of what you may
0: be picking up on is that the creator of Wonder Woman, William Moulton Marston, was actually... He he was poly and kinky. Yeah, yeah. So he he lived in this polyamorous BDSM family. Uh, There were three adults and four kids in that family. So normally, if if I didn't know this backstory, I would say, well, any empowered woman, people would think, oh my God, she's kinky. She must be a dominatrix because that's the only image that people have of any type of empowered, strong. Powerful woman, but in this case, I think part of it is actually intentional. I, I think, uh, I think Marston found a kind of a mainstream way to present some of the kink uh, in this character of Wonder Woman, and it was very, to me, it was actually very, very subtle. I mean, the golden lasso, I. That's that's very very different from you know Snidely Whiplash actually tying the woman up on the train tracks and putting her in danger. It's a loss of truth. It's for a good thing. So I I think he actually did quite created quite an ingenious character that sort of has these elements of kink and BDSM, but it's hotly contested because it's not really clear cut one way or the other. You can choose to see it as kind of vanilla and part of the character, or you can choose to see it as kinky roots.
1: Right, and that's you know that's one of the things that I found fascinating was that if you don't know anything about him, to me, I just examine them as characters. I'm not right. comparing Wonder Woman's creator to Batman's creator Bob Kane uh, you know i I don't know that Bob Kane ran around with you know a little boy wearing nothing- really but underwear and a vest, you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean if he did, then that'd be interesting that would be interesting, but um. You know, but I think so many people don't examine Wonder Woman as herself. I think they examine her creator. Um, You know, but I mean, when it comes to, you know, those of us, you know, like me that that dress up as Wonder Woman, does that mean that, you know, is there some sort of psychoanalysis that I need to instantly think, wow, I'm I'm actually into fetish and I had no idea. (laughs) Do I need therapy? Should I work this out? I mean...
0: (laughs) Well, again, I'm going to say that you only need therapy if uh, whatever it is that you're doing, your your fetish or addiction or whatever it has, actually interferes with your life in some way. So if you dress up as Wonder Woman and you like it and it doesn't cause any problems, then does it really matter whether you're kinky or not? You just like Wonder Woman. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. And there's a lot of drag you know, I find it astonishing that there are drag queens that look so much better than I do when they dress as Wonder Woman. They always fucking look better than we do because (laughs) they do not have the curvy hips because they're
0: guys. And, you know, all the models and images of beauty we see today are built on 14-year-old boys and it's easier for a boy to look that way than a girl. They just pad the upper half.
1: Yeah, they do that. And they have... The, the height and usually the muscle tone of a comic book character. Sure. Yeah. that you know, the, the rest of us would need steroids to get, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so a, as far as um, bringing costuming, though, into a fetish, how would – how do you suggest – I mean, I don't know if, you, if you've already – you know, if you've addressed this on your show, but how do you suggest a person talk to their partner about – introducing costumes and role play into the bedroom
0: i should probably do a show on this except i actually haven't done a specific show on this however violet blue has done about a million shows on this uh, because she is the queen of making uh the idea of exploring sexual fetishes and sexual fantasies so easy and so simple and so fun so if you If you really want to find out more, you should go listen to pretty much any show, any podcast that Violet Blue has done because she always addresses this in one way or another. But I would say start out with uh, asking your partner what it is that he or she fantasizes about. And I actually ask this whenever I'm dating somebody new. I love asking people, you know, midway in when we're, we've got the sexual attraction and, you know, we're comfortable with each other. I like to ask, what is it that you fantasize about when you masturbate? And, and as we get more detail, like, okay, what's the standard fantasy? And, and what are some of the others that have come out? What did you used to fantasize about, like maybe five years ago? What's, what's an old one you could pull out of the closet that maybe you don't do anymore for, for one reason or another? And, and see what comes up. And, I find that that's really easy for me because then I can pop in and say, Oh, I have a schoolgirl outfit. Cool. We can do that one. Or (laughs) probably. Okay. Well, have something that could pass for Princess Leia in the gold bikini. How important is it that the costume be authentic or is it just the suggestion? I find it interesting that a lot of people just do role play with, without costumes. They just talk and say, I am this, you are that. Let's go. And they don't need the costumes, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I, I would. So that's what I would do. I'd start off by asking my partner what his or her fantasies are and just listening for a good long time. Spend a lot of time listening. And, you know, it may not involve any costuming or or anything at all, but you'll learn a lot. And then it will give you an opportunity to say, you know what, there are a couple things I want to share with you that really get me off. So let me tell you about one of mine. And I always start with, I, I like starting with something that's like, pretty simple and easy that's not going to freak anyone out too much and then see how that goes and then I can pull in some of the others depending upon how they react to different things
1: you know when it comes to like you said uh, you know talking right you know you're at a certain comfort level before you you even approach the subject I think you know, the fact that one of the reasons that I love your show and the guests that you have is that people are always expressing, having open communication with their sexual partners. And, you know, and that goes for any relationship, friends, family, everything, having communication and knowing that, you know what, at some point this could change because I know I was talking to a friend who said that he used to love love the character Harley Quinn, who became, the you know, known as the, the Joker's girlfriend. And, I mean, and this is this is a character, she was terribly abused. I mean, the Joker would, like, throw her off buildings, he'd blow her up. I mean, he was just, like, the most abusive, terrible boyfriend anybody could ever have. <laughs> and she, you know, and she did nothing but love him and worship him. And he said that he absolutely fantasized and adored Harley Quinn until he thought, you know, he took that love. He named his daughter Harley because it's a cool name. And killed that fantasy right oh.
0: <laughs> away. <laughs> um.
1: You know, I, you know. Yeah,
0: things—it's it's true. Changed. Things can change, and it, 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 your relationship with one character—I've, you know, there's definitely been characters and things that I've grown out of. I, I don't spend as much time at Renaissance Fairs as I used to. That used to be the my my persona at Renaissance Fairs was my alter ego because I could I could flirt and be completely outrageous as I would never ever do in my vanilla life, and that used to be like it was pretty. It was this character that I was creating and playing. And then as I gradually became more sex positive and became more initiated into the kink and poly communities, I I, I still love Renfro's, but I don't go very often because I I feel like there are other places where I can be myself and express myself. And so I don't, it doesn't have to be with the British accent anymore. <laughs> I still like it. And there have been other people too that, you know, they're married for 10 years and then some, you know, one of the partners somewhere along the way discovers, wow, I'm I think I'm really a furry or I saw this latex and it really turned me on. And, uh, you know, it's something we need to accept that we as, as human beings and as sexual beings, we do grow and evolve and change over time. So what turned your partner on last year may not turn your partner on this year. So it's always good to ask and check in. And if you find a new website or photo or comic book or fetish, you should show it to your partner and see how she reacts because you'll never, you never know. (laughs)
1: That's right. You never know. develop the fetish together. When, when, yeah, when it comes to, um, to a fetish that's something bondage related. You brought up, you know, Slave Leia and the gold bikini, and I was talking about Wonder Woman. I mean, those are two iconic things that you see at every Comic Con. There's usually way more Slave Leias. Um, uh, do you think that you know one necessarily, truly represents a, a, a fetish? better than the other because, you know, both have to do with empowered women. And when I think of Slave Leia, I I always kind of have to turn it. I have to say, we call her Slave Leia. She was, you know, but on the other hand, we have to remember that she broke free of her captor and that she kills him and she gets away. But yet whenever we see the person dressed as her, it's always with, you know, the chain around the neck and the, you know a very skimpy gold bikini outfit not you know it doesn't seem like a particularly positive image unless you know the story that she broke free and she killed him.
0: And I would add too that it's perfectly okay if you are turned on by the fact that it's it's not an empowering image for women. I mean, I know so many people that have a fetish for, for making women cry and seeing women cry and seeing sc- women scream in pain and they thought there was something wrong with them for so long. And I, I love those people because they make me cry and they make me scream in pain and they think it's beautiful. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with appreciating and being turned on by an image of a woman that is not empowered. If, if you are the woman and you want to dress one way or the other – I say, go for it. You relate to whatever you want to relate to. There have been times when I related more to Wonder Woman, who is far more empowered and just has those sort of kink undertones. As I said, it's sort Mm -hmm. of the vanilla version. So you can you can read her as very vanilla, and that's fine. And she is very empowered and very, very strong. And Slave Leia, I think one of the reasons she's hot is because she is imprisoned. And even if you don't think anything about her, previous or future empowerment it can still be really hot just to see a woman tied up and angry and being forced to do something she doesn't want to do that's we, we fetishize this in the kink community we do and you know as long as it's consensual right but as, yes, long as it's that's between, very important as long as it's between consenting adults it's it's perfectly okay to be turned on by the idea of you know a woman being controlled or uh, being forced to do something
1: And is there a male equivalent? Because the only one that I had been able to find was this character called like Tom by this guy Tom of Finland, who did a lot of like homoerotic type of comics. But I could not think of a male equivalent to Slave Leia. I
0: think it's a little harder to find men being sexualized in submissive roles in the comic book and sci-fi world. It's... It's just a little tougher to find. It definitely exists in the kink world. There are many, many, many male subs. I always run across them in a lot of frustration because I'm looking for a top. (laughs) and All the cute ones seem to be submissive men. Uh, But I think if you want to find something like that, if you take away the submissive part, I think you need to go to the evil side, right? Yeah. You You can definitely find the sadistic men if you go and look at some of the evil characters. They're not submissive but then truly princess leia wasn't either she was just submissive in that one particular scene
1: right and for her it was not consensual i mean that was a thing i mean it, you know exactly. it was, she, she truly was captured which is why it was so but, hot right but then b- the only thing that i can think of is that we have in comics and not even comics but to an extent even all like the, the television medium there's always a sidekick now I, to me that can somewhat be be sexualized you know, that there's always some sort of younger apprentice that needs to learn from a master. I think that's what fanfic is for.
0: I think that's why fanfic exists, because we're, we're really not going to see these eroticized versions of submissive men in most, most, mainstream comic books and sci-fi and you know people if you want to write in and correct me and, and tell me i'm wrong please because i buy by no means have i read any comic books at all really and i'm certainly not familiar with the entire world of science fiction but i think that's that's a hole that fanfic is filling because fanfic is taking um it's mostly written by women and it is eroticizing and putting the homosexual yes. <laughs> into these stories and it's making one man submissive to another uh one of the when I first discovered fanfic, I, I was doing I was really into Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I read um, I, I found I ran across some fanfic I was looking for and I found this story of um, Xander let's see, so Xander had it was one of the episodes after Spike had done something really horrible to everyone and this um, this story took place after that and it was a story in which Xander basically made Spike his bitch. And it was really, really hot, uh, because the, I mean the homosexuality was there and the sort of fictionalized non-consent was there in that uh, Spike sort of I think he wanted to make it up to him. So he sort of agreed to be tortured because he knew he deserved it, but he still didn't like it and he was in pain and Sanders verbally abusing him. You see what I mean? That sort yeah. of thing you're probably not going to see in your mainstream Buffy or your mainstream comic book, but that is the gap that fanfic is gonna fill. We will, you know, we'll put in the we'll put in the uh the homosexuality and we'll put in we'll we'll put a man in a submissive position and
1: still think it's hot. Awesome. And and it's true that, you know, there are – I don't know if there's more creative outlets or just different creative outlets than what people used to have, but um, the fact that we can we can write these things and share them with each other with somewhat alias identities, you know, it, I think it might make people feel a little bit safer, even though we all know that once you're out there on the Internet – you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> but at least there's an, there's an illusion that you're, <laughs> that you're under an alias. Right. Um, um, so one of the things that's been coming up lately too, is the subject of, um, because I, i I'm on form spring, like all of my other girlfriends and, uh, you know, we get asked and sometimes anonymously. So you don't know if it's being asked by a, a male reader or a female reader, but we're asked, you know, how does somebody date, a girl like you? How does somebody meet a geek girl? So, you know, I'll pose the question to you. How does somebody find, you know, a, a partner that's into the same sort of, you know, fetish or maybe fetish curious, let's say. They just, they're, they're not sure, but they find something interesting. How do they go about finding other people in that community?
0: So I'll give you an abbreviated version of my poly and single poly dating 101 talk. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Because I get asked a lot where all the poly people are. And the answer is actually, to your question, is actually very similar. And there are a couple of different parts to the talk. The first thing is you are not going to find your fabulous, wonderful, you know, costume, fetishist, nerd girl in the annual meeting of mortgage brokers. Well, maybe you will. You never know. But she probably is not going to be comfortable coming out to you. In that particular context, so you have to go to the alternative communities. Things like Renaissance Fair, things like um, pagan gatherings, things like bisexuality events, um, to fetish and kink events, and to Sci-Fi Con. Sci-Fi is actually this sort of great Venn diagram. It's the middle of everything. You can find a little bit of every alternative community within the Sci-Fi community. Um, And, of course, if you're going to date anyone, it goes almost without saying, but I will say it anyway, that you have to be comfortable with yourself. You have to love yourself first, and you have to be willing to put yourself out there and and, and be brave and and, and face rejection. We all have faced rejection. It sucks, and, you know, it still makes you stronger. Another thing I encourage doing is writing what I call a user manual for yourself. I think this is a great exercise for dating for anyone, even if you're not looking at an alternative Community, um, and if you you can um, if you go to polyweekly.com and uh, do a search for user manual, you can find my examples of it. And if you're on FetLife, I've also posted my entire user, user manual on FetLife as well. Um, but it's this idea that you write down the stuff that turns you on. Uh, you notice how when you asked about sexual fetishes, I said you know you should ask your partner first. And I think one of the things that's really helpful in any dating relationship is you should know yourself really well first and be able to express yourself right. and your desires really well so that when someone asks you, you can have an answer instead of, oh, my God, hold oh, hold on. So I think writing down things like, you know, here, here's the stuff I really love, here's my background. I mean, I put things like my family history, things like I'm Lisa Simpson, I'm the middle child, it's really good for you to know things like that, I was all the straight A girl, I love approval. I mean, it's, it's, I don't have a close family. Things like that are a really nice sort of a a basis of of where you're coming from. And then I also come up with a short list of things that here are things that I just love universally when people do for me. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are in a dating realm. Like I would rather have you bring me chicken soup when I'm sick than bring me flowers on a date. That's more meaningful to me. And some of them are sexual. I have several sexual triggers that. Even though I respond to different people's chemistry differently, I do have a couple of triggers that are pretty fail-safe. And so I put those in there. And isn't that a great sort of go-to list to have? Oh, and then, of course, there's the don't ever do this or you're out. Out list, (laughs) yes. You're out instantly. Never, ever compare me to my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) your mother. (laughs) i your face so fast. Uh, and, you know, don't bow at my feet. I'm I'm not a top that's not going to do anything for me. And It makes me think that you haven't even bothered to read my profile. Um, so I think things like that, even if you never actually show it to someone you're going to date, is very, very helpful. And I can't actually explain why, except that I think it sort of gives you a better sense of self so that you're more comfortable going into certain situations. Even though you already sort of know the stuff, writing it out really, really helps. Uh, and, and that being said, uh, I, I also teach, there's a separate class I teach on how to get some at a con, which is, it's actually not specifically about sex or even about kinky scening. It's, it's about how to make sure you're not too chicken to talk to the people that you want to talk to. Uh, awesome. and yeah, and one of the things I, I, I say is that if you are fortunate enough to be at an event and you're, you you want to connect with other people that are like you, most events have a mailing list that you can join first. So if you're going to say um, NorwestCon is coming up here in Seattle, or if you're going to Comic Con or something, if there's a list or a Facebook group or something, join the group beforehand, look at the profiles, and start, you know, asking questions, introducing yourself to people, saying what you're excited about going to, saying which panels you can't wait to see. Just just start monitoring and participating in the list so that you feel a little bit more comfortable with the members of the group. So then when you go, A, you'll have a couple of people you might actually already want to meet in person, just as friends, and then B, I find that it makes me more willing to participate more bravely and more thoroughly in the event. Does that make sense?
1: It makes total sense. It makes total sense. I really love the user manual idea because aside from the fact that we should be pretty well – used to writing profiles on ourselves because of every single social network that's out there, <laughs> um, you know, I I think that, like you said, it makes you sort of self-reflect on uh, on what it is. It You know, provide some thought like, that, you know, hey, maybe you've never thought about something that way before. Maybe you've never, had, you know, how many people have sat there and actually said what does turn me on as opposed to it being a reactive situation where they're, they're faced with something and they realize they're turned on as opposed to thinking of it ahead of time. Right. And, and I think a lot of us sort of do this intuitively,
0: but it, it may be that when, when you're sort of stuck on, I really like this person, I don't know how to start something, then maybe you can, if, if you have your list in your head, you can maybe sort of maneuver something so that it's more likely that one of those things will be triggered, right?
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, it'll... It'll give you something to look for. I mean, if if Slave Leia is your fantasy, well, you know what? There's bound to be thirty of them at Comic Con because I know in San Diego there's about a thousand of them because they do a big photo shoot. (laughs) In New York, there's less. There's 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 a bit less in in New York. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, I I think that it's interesting. Because I used to be extremely shy, and when I went into journalism, I had to get over that, obviously, mm-hmm. to learn, learn to talk to people and learn to talk to complete strangers, even about subjects I know nothing about. So uh, there are people that have literally, they, they've emailed me after a show and said, oh, I saw you at your booth, but I, I was too shy to come up and say hello. Like, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. Um, I mean, I, the only time I ever felt like I was going to hurt somebody was when they literally, they actually violated my space. <laughs> I mean, I had somebody at, you know, at, it was an adult con, no less. I had somebody in an adult con come up to me and touch me when I was busy. I was doing something, I was looking the other way. And, you know, I was there by myself, which was, you know, it was one of those things where who on earth, unless thought that they had permission to touch me. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, bark at somebody for coming up and introducing themselves and saying hello and hey I read your website to me that's a great thing you know there's a there's you need to have find your voice and if you can find your voice online typing it then you need to be able to find your voice
0: right and and one and the participating list or facebook group or whatever the event has set up beforehand is actually a really good way to prevent that from happening because I know that I very often will go on a list and say, hey, you know what? If if you're here, please come up and say hello. I want to meet you. If you listen to the show, please come say hi. And then even if you are the fan and you're going to something like Comic-Con or some sci-fi convention or comic uh, convention for the first time, you can go on a list. Even if you're not famous, you can go on and say, hey, this is my first time. So if you're on this list, I'm going to be wearing a Superman outfit the first day or I'm going to be wearing the Princess Leia in the gold bikini. (laughs) Right. Please come say hi. And so, you know, invite – it, it, it's great for introverts because that sort of gives people the excuse to come talk to you. Now, some still won't, but giving them permission to come and approach you and, and or saying, I want to set up coffee dates just because I, I want to meet people at the con, you know, or there's I want to go to this panel. I don't want to go alone with somebody go with me and set that up on the list. Another great thing you can do is, of course, follow the event hashtag. And see, and people will post there, hey, you know, we're going out to dinner, does anybody want to join? Or my date for the, for the blah 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 panel canceled, does anybody want to join me? And you can take advantage of that and say, hey, I was going to go to that anyway. Uh, I know you don't know me, but I'm in the Princess Leia costume. Let's stand in line for this panel together. And so it's being brave enough to, to put yourself out there
1: in, in almost a passive way, because if it's Twitter, it's not real life, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and Foursquare. I mean, Foursquare is the stalker version of Twitter, right? Um, I, you know, I love Foursquare because it's like you know, I like to promote big events when you know when I'm somewhere. Absolutely. when you know, My girlfriend and I are specifically saying, "Hey, we want to meet other people." Um, you know, but but it's true. You know, we we do these things called tweet ups, where it's like, "Hey, all of us are going to you know from the comic book community are going to get together, and it's going to be at this pub." You know, at, at nine o'clock, you know, be there and it, you just show up. You, you stick a name tag on. You sign up on the mailing list when you get in there. And it's, it's specifically designed to get to know people. Now, that doesn't mean that by going, you're going to meet the, you know, the, your favorite podcaster and hook up. That's not what that means. <laughs> right. But, yeah. you know, but it at least is a social outing. It gets you out and it gets you talking to people.
0: Right. And And remember that. For for a lot of us, dating isn't hooking up. You meet mo- many people I've dated long term. I I met several times before I even considered dating them because I, I just you know the first couple of meetings were just too short or I was thinking of something else. I wasn't really focused on dating. It was well, ten we were not available. Or I'm Polly. I'm always available. <laughs> <laughs> now it's it, for me. It's more a mental thing. If I'm focused on something else, sometimes I'm just not in thinking. Hey, I could date this person because I'm I'm, I'm focused on something else. Another project at the time. Um oh when you were talking I had this other idea of something that would help and oh I know what it was it's an old networker's technique actually that if you're kind of introverted or you don't know anyone or not you don't know that many people and you're at an event and you want to meet more people there's this great technique where you introduce everyone else to each other and all you have to do is talk to one person so you go over, and I'm a big fan of if it's any type of social event, there's usually food or a bar or something. So I'm all for, you stand in line for the bar.
1: Right. <laughs> I walk in, I
0: don't know anyone, I stand in line for the bar because you know you're going to be there for a couple of minutes and it's perfectly socially acceptable to chat with the person uh, ahead of or behind you. Right. So you meet one person in line for the bar and the buffet line or whatever. And then you just sort of start that conversation, get something going. And then when someone else walks up, you introduce the new person to the person you just met, right? So I'm talking with you, and if somebody walks by and says, oh, is this a line for the bar? And I say, yes, come in line behind us. Oh, by the way, I'm Minx, this is Amber, and you are. And you introduce them that way. And then this whole chain happens, and you only actually had to like talk, start talking to one person. And then as people sort of come and go from the group, you introduce them to each other. And even if they already know each other, it's still a really cool thing to do. Like even if they I've had this happen. They look at each other like, "Um, yeah, we've been fucking for 6 years. We know each other." <laughs> but it's still such a nice thing to do to introduce each other. Plus it makes them laugh and laughing's always good.
1: It is always good. It is. I definitely agree with that. All right. Well, Minx, thank you so much, so very, very much for your time. So now let me give you the chance to, to plug every single place that people can find you out there on the Internet because it's, you know, um, you're, you're everywhere. I don't and think we have
0: another hour, so yeah. <laughs> I'll limit it. Um, The best place to find me is at polyweekly.com, which is the blog and podcast site for uh, for the polyamory weekly podcast and uh, just a little plug we do about half of our listening audience identifies as monogamous it's really more about uh, relationship skills and communication skills with uh, some kink thrown in there it's definitely kink friendly pansexual so if you only want to hear straight stuff you probably shouldn't listen to the show because you're going to hear all kinds of gay stuff and buy stuff and things like that uh, you can also find me on twitter at cunning Minx. and the show polyweekly also has its own twitter account at polyweekly you can find me on Facebook at cunning.minx. If you want to friend me on Facebook, please say how you heard about me. Just say, hey, I heard you on, heard you on Amber's podcast. That's fine. But if you don't, uh, I probably won't accept the friend request at this point. And you can also fan Polyweekly Weekly on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Polyweekly. Weekly. And, I feel like there's so much more, but let's,
1: like, wait, there's more, well, isn't there? So, yeah, yeah, as long as there's, I mean, as long as there's there there's links, there's yes. a central central location to find you, and, you know, yes. certainly, um, like you said, you you know, you're on FetLife with oh, your user you know manual what? and stuff. So. Yes,
0: I will provide you a link to the user manual in some usable format, so if people want to That's take awesome. a look at that, I'll, I'll put a link to that, um, I'll provide you a link so you can put it on your site.
1: Okay, now do you have to be a registered
0: you you know user at FetLife to see that? At FetLife, you you do, but I think that I'm pretty sure I've posted it somewhere else. So I'll I'll dig up the post. It's a public post. You don't have to join or come up with a username or something. I'll I'll make sure it's in some public place where people can just click and
1: at work and not get in trouble. That's fantastic, Minks. Thank you very very much for your time. Absolutely, I had a blast. Great. And, uh, you know, again, this is Amber Love at AmberOnMass.com and stay tuned. Hope to bring you more of this sort of uh, educational information.